Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, thank you for tuning in with us today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and back with me today at the table is Tim Cockrell. So, Tim Cockrell, we hit the final message of our four-part series, this Understanding the Will of God. That was just this past Sunday. What have you learned, or perhaps how have you been challenged as a result of preaching through this subject? Yeah, I think as I've reflected on it and as I've talked to people, one of the biggest ways I've been challenged is just my tendency is to process things internally and to come to certain conclusions. And I'm, I tend to be a James 4 type of person to run into dangers of, I'm going to make my plans and next month and next year, we're going to build this thing. We're going to do that thing and needing to hold my plans with an open hand, you know, constantly factoring in God's sovereignty and and surrendering my plans. But primarily, I think to answer your question, I've been convicted of not seeking the wisdom of others as consistently as I need to. I tend to be pretty confident that I've weighed the factors that I need to and that I've gathered the information that I need and that I see it pretty clearly. And so when I made the comment that all the bad decisions that I've ever made seem pretty clear to me when I made them is is really just self-disclosure that that's something that God's teaching me that I need to not just ask for advice when things seem really hazy to me, but that I'm asking for advice from my wife from my fellow elders, from staff members, from heart-level friends that can help me to see things that I may have blind spots to. Yeah, my wife might know somebody like that as well. (laughs) So, okay, so that brings up a point. You laid out seven steps, and uh, I'm not going to enumerate them right here. We can do that a little bit later. If you're listening and want to go back, uh, uh, go online, you'll see that. But the idea of an eighth step, could that be also, okay, make your choices, trust in God, but keep going back and be willing to change in mid-stride. Yes. I think we constantly need to be teachable and evaluating, God, where did I miss something here? What should I have weighed more significantly? And part of it, you have to know your personality in this because some of us are overthinkers. Some of us, anytime we're going to deal with something, we're going to think, well, maybe I could have done this better and whatever. There are others that are are underthinkers, you know, that are going to say, well, I'm sure I did it right. And the problem must just be with all these jokers around me. But that there there be a feedback loop in which we are growing in maturity through the things that God teaches us as we make decisions. So that the next time we're faced with decisions, we make them with even greater wisdom and experience. Or could it also be a Psalm 119, 105 moment? You you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light in my path. And God often illuminates only the next step. And I think right. that's, we, he teaches us in that way to trust in him. Is it possible that for the moment, yes, I wanted you to head this way, but now we're going to make an immediate left or an immediate right. You're right where I want you, but I've, I've got this next step that you didn't envision. Right. Yeah, and when I say being teachable, I'm talking primarily about what God reveals about our heart, not primarily what happens in our circumstances. Because, yeah, there are some times where you make a decision based on your best information. Let's just say you you go buy a car. You know, you say, all right, this seems like a good car. It's within our price range, all those things. Six months later, the engine blows up. Well, you don't need to sit there and just beat yourself up saying, I, I must have made the wrong decision. That wasn't the will of God. 
But in the process, you may say, hey, what have I learned in this process about maybe my own heart or just practically what I'm not going to look for in the next car, you know, my mechanic buddy that I want to bring with me the next time I go. Uh, But really, I think it's more as time goes on and we grow in maturity, many times God's going to open our eyes to help us realize my motives there weren't really pure. Or I wasn't really being honest with my advisors when I was seeking for advice. And as a result, I didn't really benefit from their perspective the way I could have. And that's how we learn, right? Mm-hmm. We get hurt a little bit. And that's often the way it goes. Well, Tim, there, there were a couple of matters that came up Sunday in the Adult Bible Fellowship that my wife and I lead. We were having our final discussion in this series, of course. And first, let's talk about someone who has disobeyed God. They've acted outside of that, that moral will or the revealed will of God mm-hmm. and His Word. We want to love that person. We want to help them deal appropriately with the sin. But he or she are outside of what God has directed in Scripture. So give us some guidance. How do we deal with that person who has obviously not followed God's revealed will, get revealed in Scripture how mm-hmm. we should live? How do we deal with that person? How do we encourage them back into God's will? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make an assumption here that this person is a believer, You know that, that it's someone that we would expect cares about what God has revealed and is is willing to live under it. I think Matthew 18 is really helpful here. And when I say Matthew 18, people's minds immediately go to the passage on church discipline, and that's absolutely applicable. But I think what many times we forget is that the passage right before the passage on church discipline is the passage about the shepherd who seeks the sheep who has gone astray. And that when that sheep has gone astray, the shepherd doesn't just say, oh, well, looks like he's on his own now, or sure hope something bad doesn't happen to him out in the wilderness. No, he leaves the 99 behind and goes and pursues that one. And in the context here, I believe that that is the wayward sheep who is a part of the flock. And so when we have someone in our church congregation, someone in our Uh, relational network who is a professing believer who is acting outside the will of God, the, the revealed will of God, what we're talking about here, it's our responsibility to pursue them. Uh, Let me be clear what I don't mean by that. I don't mean beat them up with the Bible. Uh, I don't mean to shame them or condemn them, but to reach out to them relationally because we love them to ask questions, to understand what's going on in their mind and in their heart. What are their motives and their methods as they approach this decision? And then then confronting them with the authority of God's word, not in a heavy-handed or or unkind way, but speaking the truth in love, we warn them of the danger of what they're doing. That's that first step that Matthew 18 outlines in, in confronting and correcting. And I think we have to remind ourselves that in Matthew 18, the whole goal is repentance and reconciliation not to shame or condemn or embarrass. And so if that person comes to a realization of, man, I've blown it, and they repent of their sin, that's the end of it. Like that, That's what we want to celebrate. But that if they choose not to do that, that's where then the broader community becomes important, that we are soliciting the input and influence of others to help them to realize the danger of their sin. Because what we really want them to do is to be walking with the Lord, And so it's not just about having right answers or uh, doing the right things, but it's about pleasing the Lord and helping them 
to look at their lives in light of the mirror of Scripture. And just living the truth in love before them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and it's not coming to me immediately where uh, uh, the places it's found, but you know, Jesus grew in grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And so often we need to grow <laughs> yes. a lot more than Jesus did in grace and truth. Mm-hmm. Let's talk then, you, you, you've focused and very appropriately on another believer. Let's talk about a non-believer, somebody who is, maybe that's in our family, maybe that individual is outside as a friend, they have uh, entered into a situation, maybe there are consequences that they are dealing with mm-hmm. as a result of going against how God made us, and uh, there are often consequences to sin. How would you respond differently or similarly to that individual? Yeah, so I think when we deal with brokenness because of sin, it's a beautiful gospel opportunity. And we have to be careful how we steward that because, again, we don't want to be like, see, you're you're suffering because you've messed things up. You're getting what you had coming to you. Exactly. And where I find it most helpful, there's a, a principle of, evangelistic strategy, if you will, called the three circles. Some of our listeners may be familiar with it. But the way this movement goes is, you know, God has a design and we move away from that design toward brokenness. And as we experience that brokenness, what we need is redemption. And that's exactly what God has provided for us. And so that movement of brokenness often allows us to point people to the gospel. And one of the ways I find most effective is to identify similar areas of brokenness in my own life. You know, times where I made prideful choices and ruined a relationship or where I was wrestling with lustful thoughts and was poisoning the rom- the, the pure romance that God designed for for my wife and I. And so those types of things help us to not speak as a self-righteous one who has arrived, but as someone who is equally in need of the message of the gospel. And so I think what we want to do is to to speak with empathy and compassion, but also with clarity, that we don't shrink away from saying that these bits of brokenness that we're experiencing are symptoms of a greater problem. And that it's not just that we are suffering, but that we are sinning. And that the only solution, the only redemption is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. And then that provides us a beautiful testimony mm-hmm. to proclaim God's grace in our lives that's rescued us and begun to transform us. And Lord willing that he would do the same thing in that loved one's life as well. Okay, so it's easy to focus on when it's somebody else. Let's turn the tables a little bit. The second part of that question or the second question here. What if I'm that one mm. who has stepped outside of God's revealed will? I, I've blown it. And in certain cases, there may seem to be no way back. We've all been there where mm-hmm. we felt, oh, I've really blown it. What do I do now? Guide that person. Share with that person just some steps to reconciliation with God, mm-hmm. other believers, or whatever it might be. Yeah, such a good question. I think it has to start with with godly sorrow. And Scripture makes a clear differentiation between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is focused on, I'm experiencing painful consequences. Maybe I, I got caught and lost my job, or I uh, you know made a mistake or, or did something that was, was willfully wrong, and now as a result there's a broken relationship that I can't quickly restore. But godly sorrow isn't just sorry for 
the consequences. It's sorry for the sin in and of itself. And so that's where I would really encourage people to start is with, with deep heart level repentance. And this is an area where in my own life, as well as in many pastoral situations I've counseled in, people tend to try to bypass or shortcut it. Yep, I've learned my lesson. Yep, I'm ready to move on. Yep, I'm ready to put this in the rearview mirror. I said I'm sorry. Exactly. But to really get down to why did I say that thing that I said? Why was it that that thing was so important to me that I was willing to sacrifice that relationship? What was it about you know my greed that it gripped my heart so deeply? Because until we really honestly confess that sin, we will not have freedom from it. I think sometimes it's it's like the equivalent of just plucking the dandelions in the yard and allowing those roots to continue to remain. It's going to crop up maybe in different places or at different times. And so I would say let's start with godly repentance and recognizing that there is a deep heart-level sorrow, not just for getting caught, not just for the consequences, because that often is self-pity rather than you know true remorse. But then from there, we begin to experience the restoration that happens because of the gospel. Because the danger is Satan is often going to throw condemnation at us. Well, who are you to share the gospel with someone else when you've messed up in this way? Who are you to tell your kids they can't do this or that when you've messed up in, in these ways back in your past? And this is where it's so important to root our identity in the gospel. Because if our identity was based on our performance, every one of us would be hopeless and helpless. But given the fact that who we are depends on whose we are, well, that completely changes the scenario. Now what we can say is, yes, I can fully own my sinful past, but not be imprisoned by it any longer. Not allow false guilt and ongoing condemnation to cripple me and debilitate me in my Christian life. And so I think we rest in our identity and then we live out that identity. We say, I'm not that person anymore. I can establish new patterns. Maybe my sinful choices led to the brokenness of divorce. Well, I can lament that, but I can also move forward in positive ways that make me the man that I'm called to be, that invest in, in the relationships that God has put around me now with a, a purity of heart and motive that I didn't have in the past. And I think that's what redemption is really all about. Not just the release from the guilt of our sin, but the transformation of our character in the process. It's true submission to God we're talking about, really. Just making it all about him and not about us. Yes. And that, that leads me to a next next comment. Um, uh, this morning, had breakfast with a gentleman uh, that you and I both know. We were talking about the importance in any kind of leadership, about surrounding ourselves. We talked about this a little bit last week, mm -hmm. uh, surrounding ourselves with people who think differently than us, maybe even have different convictions than us that are convictions, that, of course, we want to make sure we say, that are based in God's word mm -hmm. and whom we respect. And so, so you know, you were sharing your fourth point here the other day, the importance of guidance through God's people uh, and how we determine God's will. Guidance through God's people. I couldn't help but consider the emphasis that we place on church membership mm. here in Grace and on a vital engagement uh, of each member with the rest of the church. Uh, 
Can we work through what we see in Scripture as as a church member's basic responsibilities? Because that's really, it goes, dovetails right in with what you were saying. It's important to have people around us who are willing to confront us and say, hey, what's going on? Yes. Yeah, and I'm not sure I'll have a chapter and verse for every one of these, but I think it starts by each member being personally grounded in their relationship with the Lord. You know, that we are are not just trusting that the sermon is going to spoon feed me or that other people are going to give me what we need, what I need, but that I am personally and humbly growing in my understanding of God's word. I'm dependent on the Lord in prayer. And next, I think we are, are honestly connecting in community with other people in a way that allows us to experience, experience the diversity within the body of Christ that I am confessing my sins to others that are within this sphere, that I am being real about the things that I'm struggling with. Because if I don't do that, I'm not really allowing others to speak into that, that we are selflessly serving, that we are looking out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others and looking for ways to bear one another's burdens as well as to rejoice with those who rejoice. And that then within that context, there are many different scriptural principles that are the one another commands, you know, that we bear one another's burdens, that we encourage one another, that we speak the truth and love to one another, that we see this in our, our elder team. We see this in our ABS. We see this in our congregation that as each of us have been given strengths and experience, as each of us lives in a way that is submitted to God's word and led by his Holy Spirit, that we work out those differences in the context of the unconditional love that we ourselves have received with a heart that is humble, with lives that are submitted to God and ultimately to the leaders that God has established. We work through this process of refining who we are and what God has called us to do. And then we would be negligent if we didn't also say we're to be expanding in our relationship with unbelievers as well, that we are are developing relationships that allow us to speak the gospel in ways that Lord willing God will use to draw them to himself. Great. So just just to emphasize a point, we regularly talk about this here on the podcast. That is the importance of allowing other people and not only allowing, but inviting Mm -hmm. other people to engage in our lives and to dig. Yes. I appreciate that. Tim, you referenced Jeremiah 17, 9 this past Sunday. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, desperately wicked, it says in other translations. Who can understand it? And that passage makes it abundantly clear that we shouldn't trust our hearts. But one listener suggested that if one is like the faith one whom we noted there in Psalm 1, our uh, opening passage that we uh, we read through together in the service, if one is like that one who is meditating in the scriptures day and night, diligently seeking God, that person is likely to have the desire of God in his or her heart. So can, can we talk just a little bit? The heart is deceitfully wicked in its unrejuvenated or unreformed uh, state, unrevitalized mm-hmm. um, state. But when the heart is per- perfectly, can I say, camped out in Christ, is it not a redeemed heart? Well, and I think when we think about redeemed, we have to remember that we are in what theologians often will say, the already but not yet. We are already in Christ, but we are not yet fully conformed to the image of Christ. So yes, I think, you know, Psalms would say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
meaning he will conform your desires to fit his. Or Romans 12, 2, talking about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may know what his will is. But I think what we do have to do is be suspicious of our hearts. Because even as we grow, even as we understand God's word, our hearts are so deceitful that self-righteousness can creep in and equate our desires with God's desires. Oh, well, because I'm a Christian, because I go to church, because I have ultimate aims to honor God, that must mean if I want to do this or that thing, it must be what God wants me to do. But so many times our pride or our selfishness or our greed or people-pleasing can creep into those decisions, and that's why we need other people. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to convict us of our motives because we do often have blind spots. I'm reminded of Paul, and I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not positive on that. But he's talking about other people judging him. And, And he says, I don't think it's anything that you judge me. I don't even judge myself. Because I I don't trust my own assessment of myself. Ultimately, I'm laid bare before the Lord because he's the one who will judge me. And I think that's a healthy suspicion of our own heart, that we want to be introspective and self-evaluative, but recognizing that our heart is still capable of, of deceiving us. And I see that in my own life, and I see that on a regular basis in pastoral ministry. And if we're deeply relying on Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit at noon... On Wednesday, one o'clock, it might be different. Yep. We have to be careful. Good, Mm -hmm. good. Well, uh, you laid out for us on Sunday a seven-point guide. I want to be careful of calling it a process because that's not the way you presented it, but a seven-point guide to discerning God's will for basically any situation, really. And we went through two or three. On which of those seven points do you most often see people failing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... It likely will be different for different people. But if I were to choose one, I would probably choose that second one, which focuses on motive and method. Um, I, I think many times we want to, people are going to go to God's word. Many times they're going to pray, depending on you know what they're praying. They're going to gather information. And, and many times they're going to seek input from others. But so often what we're focused on is just the the external aspects of the decision. And as I said many times throughout this series, God cares more about why and how you make these decisions than the decision itself that you make. Mm-hmm. Because if our heart is in the right place and that we're going about it in a way that honors God, then we're operating within his revealed will and, and therefore the choice we make will honor him. And so I think the ability to evaluate our motives, to ask hard and heart-probing questions about what idols of my heart may be behind this, uh, what really is going on here is one that I think we're all guilty of maybe short-circuiting a little bit. Keep challenging us, uh, and we need to keep challenging ourselves and one another. Tim, you shared near the end of your message a challenge uh, to those who are in any kind of counseling ministry, whether it's uh, getting breakfast once a week Mm -hmm. or once a month or whatever it might be and just shooting the fat or chewing the fat, so to speak, and talking uh, might be a more formalized situation. 
we're seeking to help each other discern God's will in whatever matter it might be. You emphasize the value of asking open-ended questions as a means of helping that individual through what amounts to a, really a self-analysis. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded that this mode of counseling, it really forces a person to dig deeply. I am challenged when somebody asks me questions and to, okay, explain why I was thinking through a, a survey uh, that I recently completed last night. Mm-hmm. Why do I believe this? Mm-hmm. What are the scriptural backing for this? Uh, by the way, that survey didn't give opportunity to share with that. But <laughs> the point is, uh, it's good to be asking those questions of ourselves and one another. And of course, that goes back to the importance of one-on-one uh, iron sharpening iron. But let's talk about that just a little bit more. You talked about some of those questions, mm-hmm. but there are some real basic, even not just what question to ask, but there are some real basic questions that we just need to ask. Let's hit that those again. I think it's just important to do that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, maybe an analogy here is helpful. You think about as a parent, you know, mm-hmm. as you want to raise your children to know and honor the Lord, if you wanted to, every time they came to you and said, hey, what should I do? You could just tell them. You could just give them directives every time. And at least in the short term, they may make better decisions. But in the long term, you're not actually developing them into what God wants them to be. And that is people who are making choices based on their own heart that is yielded to him. And so what we want to guide people through is a process of evaluating their heart in making decisions. So asking them about their motive, pointing them to biblical principles, asking them about what information they've gathered and whether they're being really honest about their desires and their, the motives that are behind it. And then praying with them and not just praying with them that they'll make the right choice, but praying them with them that they'll be the right type of person. Because many times when we approach people, this is myself included, asking for advice, we've gotten to the point of kind of tunnel vision where we just want to make the right choice. And so all we really want to hear is which which decision do you think I ought to make or what information should I weigh most heavily as I make my decision. But helping the person pause and look more circumspectly at not just making the right decision but being the right person, I think that points us to the fact that we are all on a discipleship or sanctification journey and that if we view that decision as a part of that journey, then we're going to grow as a disciple in the process. Dear friends, we're over for uh, dinner the other night. We were sitting around talking. They've had a lot of experience in these types of situations. Mm-hmm. And they were just, they were going through. And uh, they go back to uh, their two or three or four-year-old self. Mm-hmm. And that question that comes from those individuals, why? Mm-hmm. Just asking somebody, oh, so why do you think that? Yep. What are the biblical back, backings for what you're saying mm-hmm. here? And what uh, foundations are you really relying on? Mm-hmm. So important. We're moving to uh, Habakkuk, or is it Habakkuk? We'll, we'll talk about that here. <laughs> but uh, the uh, we're moving into that uh, small Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we call them a minor prophet, not so minor. I'm sure you'll uh, you'll mention that maybe. But uh, we talked about it last week. Habakkuk is explaining more about God's will, really, isn't it? It's true. It, it focuses on God's sovereign will as to how He administers justice. Uh, uh, toward his people in loving Mm -hmm. discipline as well as toward his enemies in ultimate judgment and that it teaches how to be yielded to God's sovereign will 
when disappointment and disorientation happen. And I think that's something that every one of us can identify with times where we felt disappointed with God or confused by what he's doing in our lives. So Tim, that brings up one final question in this whole concept of understanding the will of God. Is it possible to be out of the will of God in the context of the revealed moral will, what we find, the directives we see in Scripture of how to live a godly life, but still be in the sovereign will of God? No doubt. I mean, every time we step outside the boundaries of his revealed will, we are still within his sovereign will. And I think, you know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter clearly proclaims in his Pentecost message of that according to God's predetermined plan, these people killed and crucified Jesus Christ. Now, the crucifixion of Jesus, the, the the murder of him, was clearly outside the revealed will of God. It was a gross injustice, but it still was perfectly within his sovereign will. And, and that brings us great comfort, even as we talked about regret maybe that we've dealt with in, in past decisions, whether directly sinful or just you know short-sighted, that we can rest in the fact that... It, we are not now on God's plan B or C, but that God is still working all these things together for our good. Amen. Tim, thanks for sharing with us these past four weeks. Looking forward to these coming weeks as we enter the book of Habakkuk. Thanks, Bart. We've been digging deeper today with Tim Cockrell, and you can access Grace sermons and podcast episodes. In fact, we encourage you to do so. You can do that on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and click the Media tab. We've also encouraging you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time. We do begin our new sermon series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.